in Mark chapter 7 this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your devices and you want to follow along, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And I'm going to invite you, if you're able to stand, I'm going to read that scripture for us. Mark 7, 24, all the way through uh, 37. And I'm going to read this over us. You can follow along in your Bible. You can follow along in your phone. You can follow along on the screen. Or you can do what many people uh, throughout history have done and just close your eyes and listen to the word of God read over you. However you want to do that this morning. Um, but I'm going to start here in Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 24. Mark writes of Jesus. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you have made yourself known to us in your word, that you have revealed yourself clearly to us in the life of Christ Jesus. We pray as we approach this that we wouldn't just understand it in our minds, but you would grant us hearts that understand and soft hearts that are ready and willing to respond by faith to what you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Appreciate that. Just so you know, jumping right in, you will need a piece of paper and a pen or your device. Throughout the sermon today, uh, we will stop, we will pause, and give an opportunity to respond to a specific question. At the end of the sermon, we'll be revisiting those responses. So again, if you have a piece of paper and pen, that's ideal. If you don't, I want to encourage you to use your device as we walk through this together. Well, we're continuing this series in Mark. And what we've seen in Mark is that Mark is trying to communicate that this Jesus is the Son of God. That he's the Son of God who has authority because he is the creator of all things. Because he is the creator, he has this authority. And we see that played out in a variety of ways. We see that he has authority over the winds and the waves. That even the winds and the waves obey his voice. Not just that, 
But Jesus speaks over the demonic and they have to obey. Jesus has authority over the spiritual world as well. Not just that, but Jesus has the ability to speak and people are healed instantly. Jesus has authority over the physical as well. Jesus also has authority over life. He is able to speak and the dead come to life. Why? Because he is the, key, he's the king of the kingdom of God. And we don't want to miss that because that's a major piece of what Mark is trying to communicate as he weaves this message together. In Mark chapter 7, we saw that the Jews had a series of things that they did. Some things that they practiced, ways that they practiced that actually distracted them from God's plan. He identifies one of those things as uh, Corbin. So what would happen is uh, someone would say, Mom, Dad, what do you need from me? Uh, They would identify those things and they'd say, that's Corbin. That is given to the Lord. And that sounds like a spiritual response, but actually what it did is it kept the children from caring for their aging parents. It was a way out. It was a loophole. And they were able to do it in a spiritual sort of way. And Jesus says, now wait a minute. Uh, you're concerned about defiling yourself with outside things, as if what happens on the outside makes somebody clean. And he says that that's not how it works. What defiles somebody is not what comes from the outside, but what's on the inside that comes out. That's what defiles. And so Mark is now going to communicate, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's going to identify two situations where someone has an undefiled heart. What does an undefiled heart look like? And through this, we're going to work through three main principles. And those principles, we'll see someone who pursues Jesus relentlessly. We're going to see someone who uh, surrenders to actually a group of people who surrender to the will of God. And we're going to see a group of people boldly proclaiming Jesus And we'll walk through this together. If you're not there, we're in Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24. And let me introduce to you the first principle. Pursue Jesus relentlessly. Most likely in this group, because you're here today, uh, we might assume of one another that, yeah, we want to pursue Jesus relentlessly. Okay, maybe. So what happens when uh, it doesn't go the way that we think it should go? In other words, when pursuing Jesus, the outcome isn't what we thought it should be. Do we still pursue Jesus relentlessly? How about when our expectations of what God does for us doesn't match what we think he should do for us? Do we still pursue Jesus relentlessly? Uh, What about when pursuing Jesus relentlessly doesn't look proper? In other words, it may go against cultural norms. Well, we still pursue Jesus relentlessly. Uh, I've seen this play out a few different ways throughout my ministries. One of those ways I'll tell you about briefly. There was a man who had an, uh, a health situation, and he had had it his whole life. And as he was reading through the scriptures, he got to James chapter 5. And when he was reading James chapter 5, he saw that there was a a command to go to the elders and ask the elders to pray for the sick, to confess sin, and to have the elders pray. So he wanted to be anointed uh, with oil by the elders, 
And he came the first time and he said this, something to this effect. I, I'm coming because the word tells me to. And I love Jesus. And I'm going to come and ask you to pray for me, to pray for healing. And he did this every week. And every week, the Lord didn't answer that prayer, but the Lord certainly answered a prayer. And this man started to grow in Christ, and he saw that one of his main vehicles for growing in Christ was that he was willing to, or that he was able to come to the elders and ask for prayer, recognizing that there is no, you know, just pray one time and it's done. He came every week seeking the Lord. Maybe this is the week that the Lord will heal me of that, and he would find that the Lord would heal him of uh, abuses in his past, things that had occurred to him that he received forgiveness of sins. Like, he... He met God in some profound ways because he relentlessly pursued Jesus. And one of the ways that he did that is being anointed with oil. It was a beautiful story. To this day, to today, he is still not healed of that ailment. But he still is pursuing Jesus, and Jesus is meeting him. Pretty great. Let's look at this passage. Again, we're going to start in verse 24. It's worth noting that in verse 20, Jesus has identified that all foods are clean. He's declared that all foods are clean. Now, you and I see that, and we just think, oh, he's talking about food uh, being clean. But Jesus is giving a greater message. If, indeed, it's true that it's not what goes in a person that makes someone clean, but rather what comes out of a person that makes someone clean, then guess what? everybody can be clean. Well, that might be a little problematic because there were these Gentiles that were around this Jewish nation and Gentiles did things in ways that could make them ceremonially unclean. And if they were ceremonially unclean, they had to go through a ceremony to become clean. Not fun, not convenient. So it's just easier to stay away from those unclean people. And we're going to see that in this scenario, Mark is weaving a message that everyone is clean because it's not what goes into a person that makes them clean, it's what comes out. And when we need a model, he goes to uh, Gentile areas to reveal it. Watch and see what happens starting in verse 24 as we walk through it together. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Let me, let me just pause there for a second. Jesus has been uh, deep in ministry. There's been a lot of things that have gone on. He's gone through some confrontations. He's gone through some healing. You can imagine the emotional state that has been placed on him and the burden that has been placed on him because of that. And he's just looking to get away. And look at what it says there. Uh, yet he could not be hidden. Oh, that that would be true in our own lives. That Jesus couldn't be hidden in our homes. That as we communicate the Lord, as we talk to others, as people come into our homes, that we couldn't hide Jesus. That that would be true of us. Devotional thought, I know it's a little off point, but get used to it. Verse 25. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and underline that. The spirit is unclean, but the people aren't unclean because it's not what goes into a person that makes them clean. It's what comes out of a person according to Jesus throughout Mark chapter 7. 
had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. So there is this mom who has a daughter who has an unclean spirit, and this unclean spirit is causing some sort of sickness we find out in Matthew chapter 15. But there's something we're going to find out about this woman. This woman is not Jewish, and she's not a part of Jesus' family. Now, again, what is the significance of that? Well, public humiliation is the significance of that. She is going to a place that she probably shouldn't go. She is talking to a person that is not her relative, and she's doing it, though it's in a home. It's obviously people see this. She's going against some cultural norms. Uh, And also... She sees that Jesus is safe to do so because she's heard the stories and the stories uh, have manifest. And now, verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Can you imagine? She sees this all the time that her daughter is suffering. Perhaps she's gone to other people. It's just not working. She hears about this Messiah, the son of God who has showed up in the flesh and she goes to him. She's taken this step of faith. She's entered the room. She's talking to him. And what's Jesus going to say? Let the children be fed first, he says to her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Maybe not what she's expecting. Now, is Jesus doing this with a wink? We don't know. Is is there some sarcasm here? We, We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is identifying a priority. He's not speaking down to this woman as much as he's prioritizing his ministry. He's saying, yeah, uh, I I came first for the Jews, then the Gentiles. My my ministry is first to this Jewish people. Even the word dogs that he uses there is not the common word uh, for dog. He's using a a, a phrase that would be like a, a pet, a little dog, an animal that would be in your house, that actually would be under the table. So in this moment, how does she respond? What is her response of faith? Okay, I tried. Yeah, I guess. Well, watch and see what this woman does when you want to see a faith that's undefiled. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This woman took a step of faith. She knew that Jesus was safe and she enters into that space. She's relentless in pursuing him. She's not getting away. She's holding on to the hem of his garment, if you want to use that. She is coming before him and wrestling, if you want to use that illustration uh, from Genesis. But she's relentlessly pursuing him. Yes, Lord, but even dogs under the table get scraps. Could I have a scrap? My daughter. And some of you perhaps have been in similar situations. This woman, it's not about the desperation of her daughter, though that plays a part in it. That is the vehicle for her to step into faith, and that's exactly what she does. She steps into faith to trust the Lord. This is about her relationship with Jesus, and she enters into that relationship, that conversation. And so I would say to us today, are we pursuing Jesus relentlessly? What might that look like? Well, 
Uh, that could be a few different ways. Recently, I've heard some people talk about revival. Oh, wouldn't you love to see revival? God, I'd love to see revival. I'd love it. Uh, I would love it to see that there would be this, this revival fire start here and just kind of spread throughout into our homes, into our communities, with our neighbors. How beautiful would that be? Also, I know that there's never been a revival without confession and repentance of sin, ever. So what does that mean? That means if we want revival, then there should be some confession of sin and repentance of it. Yeah, maybe I don't want revival as much as I thought. Well, that would be the attitude that we often see. If we want revival, then we're going to have to relentlessly pursue Jesus. And in relentlessly pursuing Jesus, we see that, hey, there's some stuff in my life that's not okay. I'm going to confess that. I'm going to turn from that. And I'm turning towards Jesus. And if there's going to be a revival, it will start with me and the Lord. And it will start with you and the Lord. And then it will, start, then it will continue with us and the Lord. But that's how revival spreads. It's not manufactured, but it is honest and sincere. Additionally, this woman, in very practical ways, this woman sees that her child is influenced by the demonic. Now, possession, we see that in Matthew 15, but certainly influenced, at least that's the implication here. And she's going to do something about it. And I, I would challenge us to do similar things. Do you, do you see some demonic influence in your home with your children? Is just turning the channel not enough? Is, is, is just pulling the device away maybe not enough? This woman, she models that she relentlessly pursues Jesus and she goes to Jesus for this very issue. If she wants the demonic forces gone in her home, she needs Jesus in her home. And she shows that. And so what will it be for us as we pursue Jesus relentlessly? If you have your pen and paper or your device, now's the time. So I want to ask you a question uh, for you to respond to. You have obstacles in your life, identify them. You have obstacles in your life, identify them. So those obstacles might be physical. They might be spiritual. They, they might be... Um, mental or emotional. But these obstacles, write, write those down. Maybe they're relational. Write it down. What are obstacles in your life? Things that you just keep hitting the ceiling on. It's like you can't get past that obstacle to really follow the Lord or to really experience um, what God would have for you. Whatever that obstacle is, write that down now. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. I'll give you just a moment as you're thinking it through. All right. Principle two. Surrender to the power of Jesus. Surrender to the power of Jesus. Consider what that might mean. That the Lord may call us to things that we weren't expecting. He, he may identify things in our lives that need to be addressed that, that might be different than what we expect. And he might go about it in ways that we don't expect. Look and see how Jesus goes about uh, uh, responding to some people who come in faith. So again, Jesus is identifying earlier what defiles a person is not what comes in. It's what goes out. 
and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Mark shows what that looks like. In showing what that looks like, he's showing two Gentiles, uh, specifically, who are responding in faith. Watch this, uh, starting in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. Okay, so again, uh, check and see what's going on here. There are a group of people, our family, friends, we don't know. It's just identified as they, this group of people that loved this man, who saw that this man had an issue and that that issue wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Uh, we know that from the very beginning, God had in store this uh, Garden of Eden relationship where we know God, where we walk with God, and from the fall, things were shattered. The very image of God was changed. It was shattered. It just wasn't, it didn't appear the same. It didn't look the same. And this kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the flesh, it took place. And Jesus wants to restore us back to the kingdom of God. And in this case, this shattered image, this person who was deaf and had a speech impediment, uh, is is shattered. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And these people bring him to Jesus. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Okay, I better stop there. Um, that's, okay, weird flex. I don't know what to say on that. That's, um, that's not what you're expecting from Jesus, Right? You say you got something wrong with yours? Well, let's check it out. Um, you know, uh, let me grab your tongue. Like, that doesn't seem uh, normal, certainly not in a COVID world. But Jesus has a plan. And uh, a, a group of people from, uh, called Jerusalem Perspective, uh, they talked about this time during Second Temple Judaism. And during this time, there was a belief that the Messiah would come with such healing property that even his saliva would have a healing, have healing property. And, and so for the Jews of, of uh, the first century who are reading this, they, uh, wait a minute, um, after spitting touched his tongue, there's healing property and he's clearly being identified as the Messiah here. There's something beautiful that has occurred, but it's also different than the way that people would expect. You ever experienced Jesus that way, different than you expected? Maybe in some unorthodox ways, Jesus has shown up. He certainly did for this man. Verse 34, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus has power. And he has power over those things that have been shattered, that he can put them back together. This man is delivered there by a group of people who simply want Jesus to touch him. Now, implied by that is some sort of healing touch for sure. But regardless, they bring him there and he's like, okay, Jesus, if you just touch him, what happens is up to you. We trust you in this place. And Jesus touches him. So, what about for us? Are we willing to surrender to the power of Jesus? Whatever that might mean. Even if Jesus reveals himself in some unorthodox ways. Even if Jesus would speak to us, minister to us through situations, circumstances, and ways that we may not be prepared for. 
would we receive it that way? If you have your pen and paper or your device, now is the time. As we ask this question, identify damage in your life or world. So what are, what are some damage, some things that have been shattered? They're not the way that they're supposed to be. If, if we were under God's kingdom and God's kingdom rule, how would it be different? Write that down. And then, who do you know that is struggling with this damaged, fallen world? Everyone is the right answer, but I'm really trying to encourage you to pick maybe two. <laughs> who are two people in your life that are also struggling with this damaged world? Maybe they're believers, maybe they're non-believers, but they're certainly struggling with the way things seem to be. Take a moment and respond to that. Let's look at the third principle. Proclaim Jesus boldly. Proclaim Jesus boldly. Let's read through it and then we'll... We'll talk about it. Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Did you catch that? The more Jesus tells them, you know what, don't, don't tell anybody, the more they want to go tell people. Are they living in rebellion? No, they are overwhelmed by God's goodness in their life, and they got to tell somebody. And I, I think sometimes, um, as I have walked through apologetics in my own life, I will sometimes get stuck on some elements. And one of those elements is, is this. If I know that someone doesn't know the Lord, I, I want them to know the Lord because I know that that's the only way they can have life, eternal life, is through Jesus. It's not through being baptized. It's not from going to the right church. It's not like all of those other things are just things and stuff. But if they, if they know the Lord, they can go to heaven. But I'll say this, that sometimes that's not really a motivator. <laughs> and in terms of scriptures, I, I don't know that that's the primary motivator. But I see what is, and that's this can't help but to tell people what Jesus has done in my life because he's good to me. I'm, I'm going to tell them. You know, some of you asked me before the service, hey, your granddaughter was here. And I said, fine, stop pushing me. I'll show you pictures. And, and I did it happily. You know why? Because I have this relationship with my granddaughter and she makes me very happy and I'm not ashamed of my granddaughter and I don't mind telling people about my granddaughter. And if people don't, don't like it, I go, well, tough luck. You've got about the next... 45 minutes. So uh, I, I don't mind sharing about my granddaughter because I love her. Additionally, uh, she has done something just beautiful in our lives that, uh, that I wasn't expecting. Similarly, only more so, only to eternity, right? Infinity and beyond. Jesus has done way more than that. How, how could we not proclaim his goodness? Like, I don't have to think about 25 years, uh, 28 years, 29 years, 50 years, whatever it was when you first encountered the Lord. We don't have to go back that far. I can tell you what he did today, this morning, right now. He's good to me. He loves me. And I want to tell you about his goodness. And in telling you about his goodness, I might also share the gospel with you. In fact, I'm, I'm going to share the gospel with you. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. But it's motivated by God's goodness in my own life. 
We were at a baseball game this week, and um, seventh inning, I, I was sitting uh, uh, by my wife and some friends, and uh, the seventh inning, there was another lady sitting right beside me, and uh, I can only guess why, but she looked at me and she goes, uh, hey, you nervous? Because my foot was just going 100 miles a minute, you know, it was just bouncing. And I said, I, no, I just have so much energy, I don't know what to do with it. Uh, so it comes out and me bouncing my knee all the time. And she laughed and she's like, yeah, I, I get that. And I'm like, I, I can barely sit still. I just have so much energy. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I get that. And so we struck up this conversation. We began to talk. And, and through the course of a couple of innings, well, actually about an inning, uh, she starts to share with me that her husband died 14 months ago and she's lost and, and is struggling. I said, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And I shared a story about my own dad passing away. And then when we, she cared for me and I cared for her. And then I, I got to say what, where my hope is and who my hope's in. And, and why that's not leading me to uh, alcohol. Uh, it's, it's leading me to a relationship with Jesus. And she said, well, I, I know you can have a relationship with the Lord, but you don't need the Bible. And I said, well, it's a love letter. Why would you not? Oh, oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. And then we began to walk through the gospel together. Uh, sad thing, I had this on my wrist, uh, and I didn't even use it. Well, how sad is that? Well, she didn't surrender to the Lord right now, right then in that moment, but she heard the good news of Jesus. We can proclaim it boldly because God's doing a work in our own lives. And because he's doing a work in our own lives, we can proclaim that. In fact, we should proclaim that. So, take a moment now. Identify two people in your life who, knew, who need Jesus. Who are two people in your life that need Jesus? And, and right now, let's just give the Spirit of God an opportunity to work. It may be uh, a family member that lives with you. It may be a neighbor. It may be somebody who works at the grocery store that the Lord puts in your mind. Write that down. Write their names down. All right. Let's look at some action steps before we jump into communion. In this first one, earlier I said, you have obstacles in your life, identify them. Well, let's follow that up now. Uh, despite those, those obstacles, how will you seek Jesus? Despite those obstacles, how will you seek Jesus? These things are not intended to stop us from the Lord, but allow us to experience God in, in uh, greater ways. If, if faith is a muscle, then these obstacles are there, are placed there, are allowed there, so that our faith muscle will become stronger. How does God want to use this in your life? How might God want to use this in your life? What are your next steps with these obstacles? All right. Give you just a moment to chew on that. Think through it. Secondly, I encourage you to identify damage that's in your world. Things that are shattered, that are not the way God intended. And perhaps somebody who is also struggling with this damaged, fallen world. Well, with that in mind... Uh, we do live in a broken world. 
It's not the way that God intended initially. But sin and death were brought into the world, and God can certainly use those even for his glory because he's that big and he's that good. How can you seek the power of Jesus to bring healing and restoration to your life? Maybe that is like the man I mentioned earlier. I'm just going to keep coming and asking for anointing of oil. I'm going to ask for prayer. I'm going to keep seeking God. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's, you know what? I'm going to seek revival in my own life, and I'm going to confess sin, and I'm going to repent from that sin, and I'm going to be held accountable by my own accord with my own will surrendered to Jesus. Maybe that's it. How about the lives around you? Are there some people who need to experience the Lord in ways that you can minister to them. Consider that. Thirdly, I ask you to identify two people who need Jesus. How about whom you will share Jesus with this week? That you'll get to share the story of what God's doing in your life and the goodness of God and then follow it up with the gospel. And maybe that's the bridge illustration. Some of you are aware of the bridge illustration where there's this chasm and we're, we're stopped by sin. This chasm is so great. But Jesus made this bridge because of his willingness to be our uh, atoning sacrifice. He died on the cross for our sins, conquered sin and death, and rose from the grave giving life to anybody who would repent and call on his name. That the Lord is calling us to himself and that you would join him. Maybe the bridge is the one that you would use. Maybe you would use the four spiritual laws, recognizing that we're sinners, we need a Savior, we can't save ourselves, and Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we need to repent of those sins and call on the Lord. Maybe it's this, this bracelet, the wordless book that walks us through God's goodness and our need for Him. Whatever it is, who are those two people that you get to share God's goodness with? what he's doing in your life. Commit yourself to it. Watch and see what God will do. Uh, tomorrow is our last uh, relational evangelism class. We'll spend a half hour just going through the gospel, and then we'll spend about an hour and a half going out into the community and sharing the gospel with people. What a great way to test your faith and to proclaim God's goodness. Would you consider that? As we prepare our hearts for communion and uh, the worship team comes out, I want to share a few things. Uh, one, we practice open communion at Friendship, which means you don't have to be a member or even a regular attender of Friendship to participate in our communion. Uh, however, we do ask that you are a follower of Christ, someone who has surrendered to Him and, and want to obediently follow Him, relentlessly pursue Him, Surrender to his power to uh, proclaim Jesus boldly. And if that's you, then communion is for you. And as you're preparing your hearts, one of the things we're told to do is examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin? If so, that we would confess that sin, we'd say it. Lord, I, I lied. Lord, I chose to walk in fear instead of faith. Whatever that is, to confess it with our mouth and repent of it by surrendering it to the Lord. And we know that God's word tells us he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness as we confess that to him. At the table, you can get both the bread and the cup, and we encourage you to come down the carpeted areas and then return on the outer edge, uh, uh, outer aisle to your seat. And uh, we'll sing a song, and then Pastor Jason will 
uh, lead us in our time of communion and offering. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that you are indeed good all the time. We thank you for your word and that it's true. Help us to pursue you relentlessly. That we need you in all things. Help us to surrender to your power, whatever that might mean. And no matter how how you present the answer to our prayers, Lord, we would surrender to your power. Lord, that we would proclaim you and your goodness to everybody. We love you. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray.